Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Good to have you along. I'm really looking forward to today's chat with Anthony Nitsos. Anthony is the founder of SaaS Gurus, a very cool company which helps SaaS CEOs and founders by giving them advanced finance and stakeholder ecosystems to get the numbers easily and enable rapid growth, helping them save cash. Anthony brings a unique mix of medical school training, Six Sigma, black belt process expertise, and the financial skills of a CFO with not one, but two unicorn exits and numerous other startups to his credit to provide the world's most sought after resource for B2B SaaS company, financial strategy and operations. Now, Anthony, that's a mouthful, but thank you very much for joining me today. Great to have you along. Thank you, Ben. Really appreciate it. Whereabouts are you based? I'm based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we're in the, what I call the sunny north coast of America. Great to have you along. I want to dive into the world of SaaS and financial management, that side of things. But first, do you want to quickly give people your background? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away as the movie <laughs> starts, um, I, was, I was very privileged and lucky to be accepted into a top medical school at a very early age. But about, you know, four or five years into that, realized that this just was not a good fit for me and made a jump over to industry. Um, and, but that training never really left. Um, the, the idea that it's an interrelated series of systems and you know, departments, if you will, really translates well from the human body into corporations. And so you know, going forward, I just really used that implicitly in all the, you know, the work that I did. Along the way, um, you know, I did a couple of large scale-ups in terms of companies. So using that same training and technique to go after root causes and fix things in advance, you know, kind of preventive medicine, if you will, uh, for building all these finance and stakeholder ecosystems. So um, I've had the privilege of taking two companies of what I call the, <clears throat> the logarithmic growth, which is where you add a zero to everything. Nice. Uh, one company went from five to 50 million in three years, and the other one went from about 15 to 150 million also in three years. Um, and so learning from those experiences on how to really scale a company rapidly, and there were a lot of mistakes made along the way, um, and you know, a lot of done, things done right. And so that really kind of informed how I went forward into you know, the whole SaaS gurus thing, which is there's, a, there's a, a vast reservoir of what are called fractional CFOs out there in the world, you know, delivering what they claim to be, you know, finance to, you know, startups and SaaS companies, but mostly what they do is accounting. Um, they, they dress it up as finance, but mostly what they're doing is accounting, you know, they're closing the books, they're doing financial reports, they're producing numbers. So what we do is we say, you know what, that's the boring work. What we'd rather do is work on, you know, pricing strategy, you know, an investment round structure, what your pre-money valuation looks like, how to put an equity plan together, you know, does this contract actually fit? What are the risks associated with it? And so we really focus on automating the back office, you know, the accounting function so that our CFOs can focus just on the strategy as much as possible. And we leave the number crunching to, you know, basically be as automated or as, as easy to produce as possible. I love it. And from the HR world, HR side of things, I always had the perspective or the viewpoint that uh, it's important to get the basics right, the foundational HR operational stuff 
automated or systematized as best possible and then focus on the higher value add stuff. So it sounds similar, but from a different field uh, from getting the, the financial accounting side of things and the, the management accounting side of things automated as much as possible and then moving into, as you say, the pricing and the strategy side of things. Um, so I'm really curious to learn a bit about what SaaS Gurus does and particularly around what you provide in the sense that it's a finance and stakeholder ecosystem. So can you explain to listeners what is a finance and stakeholder ecosystem and what makes a good one? So if you think about the term stakeholder, and we, we've all come across this, you know, some at some point in our careers and, you know, maybe use it frequently, but the way I look upon the stakeholders is everybody who has an interest in the company, right? So this is obviously employees, it could be investors, it could be customers, it could be the vendors. So really anybody that intersects with the company in some manner, and financially, I mean, but rarely is there anything that goes on in a company that doesn't have some sort of financial impact. Yeah. The way these, so you take all these pieces, right? So you've got finance, you've got accounting, you've got legal, you've got HR, you've got insurance, you have you know the, the investor records, you have all this other stuff. And usually the way these things kind of grow within companies is happenstance. You know, founder starts a company, you know, they need a, an accounting system, right? So somebody goes out and gets QuickBooks and then say, you know what, we need to track our leads. So somebody goes out and gets a CRM, you know, whether it's HubSpot or something. And, you know, say, hey, you know, we need to do some financial reporting or some budgeting, I mean. So somebody go grabs a spreadsheet somewhere. And what you end up with over time isn't really so much a system as a, what I call a tech pile, which is a bunch of disparate systems, none of which really talk to each other very well. Or when they do try to get hooked up to talk to each other, it's like, well, we named simple things like we named our customers this way in the accounting system and we named our customers this way in our CRM. And so the two can't talk to each other. So the way I look at it is all of these systems should talk to and integrate with each other in ways where there's single source of truth, say for customer information, um, there's single source of truth for accounting metrics. There's single source of truth for everything. And goes back to the principle that you put the data in once. The person who puts the data in once is the one who is best positioned to make sure its quality is high. So you give them all the tools they need to do that. Once the system is and the data is entered once, it's then replicated throughout whatever other systems needed. You know, a good example is, you know, what's called CPQ, which is, you know, configure price quote. And there are tools out there that do that. Well, if you just go out and get a quoting mechanism and you don't integrate it with your CRM, which is say Salesforce or HubSpot, then you're having to replicate that same data in two systems. And if your CRM doesn't integrate with your accounting, then you're gonna to have to then take that customer information and when it's time to generate an invoice, you gotta plug it into accounting. Every one of those little steps over time adds up to a huge amount of waste and also opportunities for data to become you know, disconnected, wrong, conflicting. So what you end up with is this tech pile, all of these different numbers. Well, Salesforce says our sales numbers were this. Yeah, but accounting says they're this. Yeah, but you know, customer renewals say it's this. And so you end up with this mishmash. What we like to do is, and how we do it, is first thing we have to go in is kind of assess the patient, if you will. How bad is the mess? Where are all the pieces? How are they put together now or not? Do they talk to each other or not? And then from that analysis, we call it the diagnostic. We then come up with a plan of action. It says, okay, here's what you need to fix first. This will then feed fixing here. This will then feed fixing there. And so we start at that root cause. 
which is the center point. And then we move out from there, fixing all the systems in sequence, getting them to integrate and talk to each other. And lo and behold, at the end of the day, after you know a few weeks or a couple of months, suddenly executive management's getting everything they need. They're not having arguments over who's got the right numbers. And it goes beyond that. So HR, as you talked about, automating HR. I love automating HR because HR feeds payroll and payroll feeds yep. finance and payroll also feeds benefits and benefits administration. And so if you've got to do your benefits administration manually, somebody's got to plug that data into a system somewhere. Well, maybe more than once or twice. Well, accounting needs that information or finance needs that information for budgeting. So there is absolutely no back office system, if you will, that's why I call it a finance and stakeholder ecosystem piece that should not somehow be fit into a whole plan. And then once it's there, you design it so that this thing can do what I call that logarithmic scaling, add a zero to everything. Does this system in series of systems still work at you know tens of transactions going to hundreds of transactions or hundreds of transactions going to thousands or in a couple of cases i've done thousands to ten thousands or hundreds to ten thousands so you know are you building something today that's going to last you know not only save cash today it's going to allow the cfo to focus on stuff that's really important not you know the dredge of maintaining all these systems in the background and it enables scaling so that really is our philosophy and how we go at these things. Absolutely. And getting that seamless connection is just so important. I know uh, a previous guest on this show here, uh, Luis from SCORE, they, it's an HR learning system, but it takes data from sales figures, which is obviously connected to the financial figures, to the staffing system, so that depending on yesterday's sales in a store, it will then feed through to the training system, which says, oh, we need to train our staff on sale, on selling a certain product line better because we're not selling enough. And our module, uh, our model shows that it should have sold X, but we were X minus something. So having all of that data connected is so powerful. On your diagnostic, um, it's a wheel, if I recall, um, looking back on the diagnostic side of things, what would you see as being the core elements in the marketing aspects of that? So if a, a SaaS founder came to you and was sort of seeking advice on the model, on the finance and stakeholder ecosystem, you know, where does marketing fit into that and what kind of elements would you look at? So marketing fits in because ultimately marketing is the, is the beginning of the customer journey. And the customer journey starts with awareness, right? So when the, when the prospect becomes aware of the company, how is that awareness tracked? In what system is that tracked? If it's captured right up front in the CRM, and the CRM is, is set up so that it itself is capturing data that if this customer, if this prospect turns into you know, an MQL, and then, excuse me, if the lead turns into an MQL, and then sales acceptance, and they turn it into an SAL, then the fewer times data is having to be assembled or added to this record, the better, and by the fewer people. So I go back to the, what I call that first capture principle, which is you want to go so far upstream. So when you're setting up your, you know, your, your lead, whether it's Marketo that's feeding into Salesforce or whatever it is, when you're setting up the lead gen system that's capturing leads and feeding them into the CRM, you want to be capturing as much information without being obtrusive about it because you don't want to drive people away with too many clicks. Um, throughout the process where you're adding to that record without having to correct what's already there. And then by the time it's done, so if you're starting from 
lead into MQL. MQL comes to SAL. SAL then starts, turns into a sales order. All of the data that's adding to that throughout that process, at that point, when finance picks up that sales order and has to turn it into an invoice, it's literally click a button, click a button, click a button. Not have to stop and go back, back and ask sales any questions, not have to go back and fill in any blanks. So if you think ahead, when this is where I, I, it, it, it works to, against companies. They get their lead mechanism, you know, they get their platforms and they bring them in. They're not thinking in terms of a strategic plan of how are we going to meld all this together so that going forward, it doesn't get in the way of our growth and also doesn't break at the worst possible moment, which is usually when you're doing due diligence on an investment or you're looking to get acquired. <laughs> all of a sudden, a good look. yeah, the systems are now being, you know, tested at their fullest capacity and, oh, crap, this doesn't add up, or yeah. these two numbers are supposed to agree and they don't. So absolutely, marketing has, you know, the marketing systems in particular and the types of data they're capturing up front are critical. The other thing too is that we need to know what conversion ratios look like. When you're going from, you know, how many leads does it take to result in how many MQLs? How many of those MQLs then result in closings? You know, however you want to define it, however you want to cut it. But ultimately, that's what we in finance are looking for because we have to go back and then say, okay, on the SAS metric side, what's our cost to acquire a new dollar of ARR, the so-called CAC, the CAC. So the cost to acquire either a customer, if you have homogeneous customers, or a cost to acquire that new ARR you know, how efficient your sales and marketing team is at getting those numbers as low as possible. You know, for a SaaS company, you want those, you know, somewhere just a little bit above a buck, you know, per buck, ideally. Yeah. If you can get it less than that, of course, that's, I, you know, that's, that's gravy, but, but ultimately getting it to the point where, you know, a SaaS median standard is $1.15, $1.20 of, you know, sales and marketing spend for a new dollar of ARR. How close are you to that? Well, making sure that you're capturing all that information correctly, then we'll feed into this. Yeah. So what would a typical dashboard look like, let's say on a HubSpot, if uh, a CEO wanted to try and track that? Well, on HubSpot itself, what you need to do is, you know, it, one, don't get stage happy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so as the deals are going through, this is one that, that kind of drives us poor finance people crazy is you have eight stages to, you know, describe how the customer moves through the process, right? I'm pretty sure they're happy. Fairly sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fairly sure. So I, you know, say let's, let's, let's take a look at that because right there, you know, one, if there are too many people aren't going to use it, they're not going to use it well. And if there are too few, you don't have the right information. So I found the sweet spot to be somewhere between three and five, three and five stages. What would you call them? And so ultimately, I mean, I just use the ones that I use right now. Starts as a lead. Is it an MQL? Is it go to an SAL? And then within the SAL itself, there's basically a couple maybe steps that you can look at. It really depends on how... I want to say persnickety the VP of sales is and wanting to design that part of their system. You know, a lot of some VPs of sales are very data driven. And so they want to see all the, you know, the accepted leads broken down to, you know, are, have they been contacted? Are they being quoted? You know, is a, you know, where, you know, there are different stages on yeah, that. Yeah. Ultimately for the me, the end is, is it closed one, right? You know, does it get to a closed one status? And we like to have it what's called closed one finance, which means finance is looking at it, making sure everything is in order and proper before we turn it to booked. 
and then your dashboards are going to show you know your leads by category if you want them what your total pipeline is i look for things like what's the acv what's the average contract value all right, so if you've got a pipeline, are you showing me not just the total dollars of the pipeline, but what's the average sales price of those contracts? Because if we're at or below our target, then that has financial impacts or it might have, you know, pricing, uh, future pricing impacts. So, ACE, you know, how many, how many leads in what particular major stage are there? What's the average contract value? Pipeline that out by month so we can get some idea of, you know, how based on our sales target, how much do we have covered right now? So coverage ratio is another one that I like to take a look at, which is yeah. if I have for the next 90 days, a target of you know 150,000 in ARR, what do I have in my pipeline today? Oh, it's 150,000. Well, that's bad news because that means you have to close 100% of what you have right now to meet your target. That's just not realistic. I don't know anybody who closes 100%. So these are all, this is all the thought process that yeah. should go into how you're putting these systems together. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, typically when we set up dashboard reports for the marketing one, it's, it's as pretty much as you described, the lead MQL, I call it SQL, the closed deals and then separate reports around the sales stuff so that you can track the activity as in contacts and the progress. Flipping then to some of the issues you see in dealing so. I guess beyond marketing, but I'm always happy to talk about marketing, but what are the most common problems you see when SaaS companies try to scale up and, and how should they try to handle these challenges? So there's, if you think about that whole hockey stick, right? Everybody talks about how do you go from a sales growth that's kind of, you know, somewhat linear, you know, to one that's really skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a phase change there, right? And how does, how do you scale? So there are a couple of things that feed into that. Number one, have you really broken down the DNA of your go-to-market strategy so that you can clearly say, we now know how to do this. We know how to generate leads. We know how to get to the MQLs. We know how to get to the SQLs to use your term. It's just a matter now of we need to add more money in terms of people and resources to the top of this system and out the bottom cranks more sales. So where I see most of the tech companies that I work with struggle is in getting to the point where they really have that decoded to the right level where they can say, all right, we're now ready to take that round. Because in my mind, your A round usually is the round where you're like really pushing on the commercialization, right? So your seed rounds are to get your product to its MVP, get enough customers to show traction, show enough growth to show excitement to the investors. So that when you get to the A round, it's really, okay, I'm going to take this 5, 10, 15 million, you know, A rounds are getting bigger and bigger every year, it seems. And I'm going to use this to really crank my rev. I call it the rev growth, right? That revenue growth. And whatever we need to do on dev, on the development side, on the product side, to support that revenue growth and to make sure that we keep our customers on the back end. So I love talking about it in terms of it's a whole journey, right? From the point where they become aware of you to the point where you renew them, that's the package that finance needs to be looking at and working with everybody to say, okay, are we properly measuring how to go from this, you know, this stack, if you will, from this journey, I call it the customer journey to get there. And so I'm not sure if I wandered too far off topic, but. No, no, I love it. 
Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking back to some of the reporting process when you go through funding rounds and, and each channel performs differently, doesn't it? So at the start mm-hmm. of, a, of a tech company's life on the marketing side, the SEO doesn't produce much, but over time as you produce content, get traffic and traction, mm-hmm. you know, SEO should overtake and, and reduce some of that CAC that you talked about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kicking off, you've, you've got to do the, the hustle, the, the Google ad channels, and then track every, every channel differently. Um, and then report back because the idea being, yeah, as you say, you should then be able to look at your conversion rates and for each channel, see how much $1 mm-hmm. can produce, which obviously then prepares you to take on more funding because you can explain how you're going to use it, which also will require dev work. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge role for the, the fractional CFO, if you like, you know, someone like SaaS gurus to get involved. So what are some of the most important SaaS metrics to follow? We've talked about some of the marketing stuff, but across the, the business, what are the most important ones you see? So it depends on the stage of the company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would say that, you know, first and foremost, what your seed stage company is going to have as far as metrics compared to you, say your post A or your post B company is going to have for metrics are different and they should be, you know, there are certain things that you need to focus on early, which is, you know, more along the lines of, market acceptance, sales closing, like I said, decoding that DNA. So you're going to be looking at certainly CAC in the beginning, but I'm looking at other metrics, cash burn. Okay, let's start with the basics. One, you need to know how much cash runway you have. (laughs) So you need a very good forecasting system to find that out. If you don't have a good forecasting system for cash, it's like driving your car down the freeway at night in a fog with no headlights. Okay. You could be fine (laughs) as long as it's a straight freeway, but it's not going to probably last very long if you don't know, you know, when you're going to run out of cash. So you should always have that. That, That's number one SAS metrics from the beginning is your burn. Always having that present in mind in front of everybody, as far as I'm concerned. Um, So burn. What I like to joke about is, you know, your SaaS CFO, your SaaS CEO and founder should have two metrics in mind, sales and cash, followed by cash and sales. That's it. Um, The rest of it's frankly details, really. You know, that's kind of funny, maybe coming from the finance guy, but I know I understand the real realism is one, you can't spend net income. So I don't care what your books say. You can only spend cash. And if you're not growing your top line, who's going to invest in you? Why would they, right? So you have to, you know, your, your early stage company, those are going to be your two primary metrics. What's your sales, whatever traction you need. Is it average contract value? Is it, you know, that whole lead to MQL thing and how is that looking? So a lot of focus in the beginning, I think really on the cash management side and the sales side. Now you're starting to grow and scale. So you're going to start looking at more efficiency ratios. One of them that's going to pop up really early is gross margin on the finance side. Um, in the beginning, your gross margins are going to frankly stink. Let's face it. If you've got any, you know, you're, you're scaling, you only have a few customers, you know, don't pay too much attention to that yet. But now you're starting to move into your A round and post A round, you need to take a look at your gross margin and make sure you're hitting that magic 80% minimum for a software company. If you're not hitting 80, 80%, you need to understand why. Do I have too much delivery cost? Okay, am I, am, I char- am, I, am I charging too much on implementation and not enough on ARR? So we're looking at the ratio now between services revenue and recurring revenue. 
you're also moving in your A round, you're going to start looking at retention metrics. What's your net, what's your NRR or your NDR? So your net, your net recurring revenue or your net dollar retention. Um, and that, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that concept, but in a nutshell, it says, okay, if I started 12 months ago with this customer and this ARR, how many of those customers do I have left? And of the ones that are left, how much have I expanded or upsold them? Yeah. Right. That NRR. So we're now starting to look at NRR, churn rate, gross churn rates, things like that start to come in. And what would you do if you were brought in by a CEO who was having problems? They weren't reaching that 80% gross margin rate. You know, where would you start? Because it's such a big thing, isn't it? Well, I am going to start with, you know, going back to that medical school training. And I look at it from this, this point. Um, if your back is bad, your entire life is miserable. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had lower back pain or anybody. You can't yeah. run away from your back, right? Yeah. And in my mind, the, the spinal column of the organization is the accounting system. So now I'm going to go back to that and say, look, garbage in, garbage out. If your accounting system isn't set up, for SaaS types of companies. And there is definitely a way to set up your profit and loss statement for a SaaS company. Um, there's a best practice out there and we use it over and over again. And the reason why we use it is it allows us to go to KeyBank, for example, who has their, you know, a lot of their annual survey that comes out with SaaS benchmarking information on it. They follow the same methodology. So we very much mirror that so we can compare and say, okay, for a SaaS company at 1 million ARR or 5 million ARR, your gross margins should be here. Your, you know, this is the median for here. Here's what your CAC should be looking like. Here's what your R&D spend should look like. So when we come in and take a look at a customer and he says, I don't know what my gross margin is. Well, that's probably because your accounting system isn't capturing it correctly. So let's fix that first, because not only fixing that fixes how you're going to get your gross margin, it's also going to affect your CAC because now you're going to know for certain what your sales and marketing spend is. The other thing too, is one of the things that, you know, the investors will not tell you or the ones that are going to acquire aren't going to tell you outright is we want to know how much your finance and admin spend is because that's the part that we're going to cut down and eliminate on an acquisition because we're going to fold those functions into the acquiring organization. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. So you want to have that broken out. And then for, you know, very simple, straightforward reasons, you need to have your product and development broken out into a research and, you know, research and development bucket for a couple of reasons. One, the accounting firm, the accounting world is going to start making companies capitalize software development. Okay. Which is going to be a pain in the butt. Um, but you also need to track proper development costs versus product research cost for your R&D tax credit, because that is real money that you can use, you know, to offset payroll taxes and use that cash to extend that cash, you know, metric. So when we come in and take a look at it, <clears throat> we have to start with the accounting system, because if that vertebral column, if that spinal column isn't set correctly, it doesn't matter what we do. Everything else is going to be out of kilter. So fix that first. And then off of that, you need to fix your SAS metrics. Um, <clears throat> trying to do, you know, ARR and trying to do NRR and all the stuff that we need for SAS metrics on a spreadsheet is going to basically, you know, bury you very quickly. So getting a, a platform in there like SAS Optics or something like that, you know, to generate that again feeds off of that accounting system. So that's why I said we started the, the core. And then we start working our way out from that. So we start with accounting, then we go to budgeting, then we go to SAS metrics, then we go to the CRM, then we go to the CPQ, then we're looking at HRIS. And so we're building that wheel. 
yeah. that's on our website you know, for a reason, because we're building all the systems to sit on a center that in this case is your accounting system. You know, so. um, how often is a, a CEO, when you tell them that you're going to start with the SaaS accounting system, how often would they think, oh no, it's, it's correct. You don't need to worry about that. Or are they well, surprised? It's, I don't think, I, you know, I don't, I rarely get that. What I usually get is, so as part of our diagnostic is we take a look at their existing accounting system and nine times out of 10, it's set up by a tax CPA. Because when you're starting your company, the first thing you're worried about is getting all your, you know, getting all your expenses and receipt and payroll and all that tracked so that you can file your taxes. You're not really looking at your accounting system as a source of strategic information. So, you know, lesson number one, it is, and it should be structured that way from the beginning. So I'll come in and I'll, within 10 minutes, I can tell you what's wrong with your accounting system. That's not bragging. It's just because I've seen this so many times. I come in, some tax CPA has set up the accounting system. They have payroll in one line. Well, you can't find out gross margin if you don't have payroll broken out into the cost of sales. You can't know what your sales and marketing cost is without breaking your payroll into sales and marketing. I can just do that one right there and say, look, 80 to 85% of your cost as a SaaS company is payroll, right? That's, that's what the world is. You know, we don't buy machinery anymore. It's all people. So if that people cost isn't broken into the right buckets so that you can make, you know, you can look at this and say, hey, you know what? We're spending way too much money in this area. Why? What's going on? And getting to, you know, at least using this to illuminate things, then you're not going to go anywhere. So I'll come in and it's usually pretty easy. They know they're not getting the right information because they're yeah, either yeah. getting beat up by their board because they're not being there, you know, or they're, they're trying to get the information to the board and they're trying to do it themselves. Or maybe they got, you know, Bob bookkeeper doing it for them, but they don't know SAS. They don't have the accounting system set up properly. So they don't know how to fix that. And usually what you end up with is, is some poor CEO who's out there putting numbers in front of, you know, a board or investors praying that she got it right. Okay. And hoping that nobody finds out if anything's really wrong, but well, unfortunately we, we when we come in, we, have, I've had a couple of cases where we've had to fix, you know, CEO said the ARR was here and actually, no, it's actually down here. You were not counting things properly. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> um, that's not that's not that's not good news ever for us yeah. right because we don't want to you know we want to make our clients look good of course not go in and the first thing we do is say i'm sorry i have embarrassing news for you yep well look some people can juggle others can sing some can dance but maybe your party trick is give me 10 minutes and i'll come on uh, I'll, I'll pinpoint exactly what's going wrong in your SAS accounting system i think it usually takes a little bit more than 10 minutes because we're looking at everything besides the accounting, everything else. So our diagnostic usually runs an hour to 90 minutes. Um, oh, so I wasn't that far off. Okay. Yeah, not it, talking it, weeks. It's not, it, it doesn't take long for us to figure it out. It just, there's a lot of stuff to look at mm -hmm. so that we can prioritize it. It almost always starts with the accounting system, but then, you know, we could be immediately looking at, um, you know, other areas where their HR is a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's all they, don't have, they don't have documents or I've run into some cases where they say, what employment agreement? It's like, um, <laughs> oh, oops, we got to take care of that right away. Exactly. So, well, I mean, to go to your med medical school background, I mean, the, the body, everything is connected. So the yeah. HR is connected, the marketing is connected, the sales, et cetera. 
I'll let you go soon, but I'm really curious, what were some key learnings or things that jumped out at you from the experiences you had with those successful exits? I think let's, let's talk about people, right? So a lot of attention gets paid to scaling the organization, um, but not necessarily the people aspect of it, right? Right. And so here's one lesson. It's a simple one. Um, the first company that we scaled, they went from five to 50 million in three years. We knew it was coming. We actually had long-term contracts that told us exactly when the scale-up was going to occur. But what didn't happen was an organization plan wasn't put into place to show how you're going to, you know, if you're going to 10 times yourself, does that mean you're going to hire 10 times as many people? Well, I hope not because then you're losing economies of scale. Hmm. But let's say you're going to do it by three or four, right? Try and if you're already a, an established company, trying to triple or quadruple your company size in a very short period of time is going to be a train wreck, period. And it, it's going to be a train wreck because the existing organization has to be able to take the new people in train them, get them up to speed, and at the same time doing their own jobs. And so if you're trying to push more and more whatever it is, sales or product out the door, and you don't have that taken into consideration, you'll end up with the first learning experience I had, which is we're sitting there losing our experienced sales force because they're walking out the door because they're being forced to work overtime and not see their families and they're just tired of it week after week, month after month, as they're trying to train new people who then are not trained properly, they get frustrated, they leave. So now turnover starts going out the, you know, going through the roof and you know what the cost of turnover is. I don't have to tell you guys that. So yeah. lesson number one, having a really good, strong organization plan that's constantly being reviewed and revisited with realistic assumptions about hiring is critical to preparing yourself for scaling. And part and parcel of that is you know, evaluating the benefits package, taking a look at the company culture in terms of how people work with each other. Are you, are you bringing the right people into the organization? Okay, are you bringing people in who are gonna create problems? So you know, all that plays into it. Um, the other lesson that I learned was the one that I talked about you know, earlier, which is fixing a lot of these back office systems and these what I call sources of truth early um, is huge. And, you know, case in point, you get to a point where the companies say 10 or 15 million, you have 20 people in the CRM, everybody has their own definition of what and how, how, to, how to label the accounts, how to label the opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, basic, simple stuff like that. And then suddenly you've got to put all this stuff together in a system. Some poor schmuck's got to go in there and clean this up. <laughs> and so who's going to pay for that? How are we going to do that? Who's going to call the shots in terms of what it is? So I like to use the, the, the example of the, the asteroid, right? The one that wiped out the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. you know, right now, we're smart enough that we have you know, telescopes looking for this stuff, right? So we can see these things coming. So I like to look at this and say, okay, if you're, if you're trying to avoid an extinction level event, you know, a massive you know, wipeout, do you want to see that asteroid, find that asteroid when it's at, say, the orbit of Pluto or the orbit of the moon? Right? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> at the orbit of Pluto, we have a lot of options. It's probably going to, you know, we probably have time. If orbit of the moon, you're just basically going to kiss your loved ones goodbye because you yeah. can't do anything about it. But setting up these systems is the same way. The earlier you start with the discipline 
And it's not rocket science. That's the thing is that this stuff is actually fairly straightforward to think through and yeah. set up. You just need a framework to work in and somebody who's done it maybe to lead you through it. But once it's done, you can say, look, we've got all the pieces in place. Once we're done with QuickBooks, we can swap out for NetSuite. Once we're done with ChargeBee, we can swap out for SaaS Optics. You know, you, you look at, you know, once we're done with Expensify, we can swap that out for Concur or whatever your path is or whatever the, you know, the tech is. But design it now so it's modular so that it easily talks to each other. And also so that if you need to pull something out to scale, you pull that piece out and put the new piece right in and it doesn't have to be forced in. It fits in because we already know what the data in and out is to that particular part of the system. We just need to structure that, turn the switch. Makes good sense. So last question, two questions rolled into one really. Just to summarize, what exactly does SaaS gurus do? And then what should listeners do if they'd like to learn more? So what we do is we go in and we fix these systems. And at the end of it, our, our contracts will either turn into a long-term relationship where we're providing the fractional CFO services, but at a rate which makes a lot of sense for the company because we have an upfront part where we fix all this stuff. So there's kind of an upfront cost of fixing these things. And then afterwards, that saves ultimately because that fixing that upfront then it allows you to scale and you know avoid all these additional costs in the back office going forward. And if you already have a CFO, they're going to love it because they're going to have their lives a lot easier, right? They're not going to have to focus on what are basically accounting matters. And if you don't, we could provide that as well. Um, the best way to get a hold of us is go to you know go to our webpage, which is SAS S A A S dash Gurus G U R U S dot com. So SAS dash Gurus dot com, and there's a contact us there. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me, Anthony Nitsos. Just you know search me on LinkedIn or search SAS Gurus on LinkedIn, and you'll find us. Um, obviously, those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of us. <clears throat> and, you know, we respond very quickly to, you know, if you have a contact us on our webpage or if you message me even on LinkedIn, I'll get right back to you. I don't like to leave things lie around. Excellent. Sounds good. So if you're listening to this on the go, we'll have the website and Anthony's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So do check that out. But Anthony shared so much great information today. So I really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for all you're doing to help grow HR tech and HR SaaS businesses around the world. I so appreciate thank you. it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.